Isaiah chapter 50, and I want to read with you just one verse from this portion that we've already read this morning. A verse that we're taking as somewhat of a summary of those verses from 5 to 9. We're going to look at verse 9. I will point out that the context of verse 9 is set in verse 8 where you see the words of challenge being offered by the one who would not be condemned cannot be condemned in other words bring my enemy in front of me come on come on out let's stand together and face each other face to face Oh, what a challenge. And you know those are the words of the Lord Jesus. But then verse 9. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they all shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. I want us to think this morning on what I am calling the absolute victory of grace. The absolute victory of grace. But before we go any further, let's just ask the Lord to meet with us and to use his word in our hearts. Our Father and our God, now we come to the time when you have in your goodness and in your mercy to us as your people appointed for your word to be considered. We would pray then because this is your word, this is your day, this is your house, we are your people. Then that you will yourself, by the power of the Spirit of God, allow the word to be applied to us. Lord, we long to hear the voice of the shepherd this day. So bless us, we pray, by allowing the Spirit of God to do that precious work that shows us the Lord Jesus in the Word and then shows us our place with thyself because of him. Lord, do bless now. I plead the helping of the Spirit of God for my mind and heart. Overrule that which has to do with man. Glorify that which has to do with with the Lamb. And we do pray this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I will begin this morning by reading a portion of Scripture upon which the thoughts of our text, the exposition of Isaiah 59 or 50, verse 9 is utterly supported. And that is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. The words of that verse says, For all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him, Amen, unto the glory of God by us. That verse says plainly, that the promises that any and every believer has and holds is first a promise that has been given to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of that again. Every single promise that God makes to you in the Scriptures, He has first made it to Christ. That's what it says. All the promises of God are in Him. Yea, and in Him, Amen. Further, Every promise of God's good grace and help 
have been realized and proven by the Lord Jesus to the absolute satisfaction of the need of the hour. There was not one, not one of God's promises that fell to the ground or showed itself less than perfectly fitted for the need at hand. All of the promises of God are and were fully proven by Christ. That's what that verse also says. I point this out because the words of Isaiah 50 are prophetic words that speak of what the Lord Jesus was to know from the hand of the Father as he faced the enemies of his soul and ours. He says in our text that the Lord God, or more literally, the Lord Jehovah, would help him. Well, you and I might ask the question, well, how would he help him? How was it that this would be true? Well, the answer is that every divine grace and mercy would be poured out not just to help the Lord Jesus to barely endure, but rather it would bring complete and everlasting victory over that which stood against him as an enemy. Now, I want you to notice with me, given those thoughts, I want you to notice with me the words of our text and how they describe the weakening of the enemy and their destruction. Come back to verse 9. It says about the enemies of Christ and our soul, that which is against us, it says, Lo, they shall all wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. That's sort of an interesting statement. That's a unique statement. That's a powerful statement. Do you see the great point? It is said that the enemy will weaken and become feeble and worn as an old garment. All of them will be brought to the place where they are described as moth-eaten. Meaning that they are utterly ruined and spent. Now here's what I want us to spend our time to think on. You and I often think that our enemies sin Satan and self are utterly strong we think that even though Calvary has ended the judgment and condemnation of all that our sins bring against us we tend to think that even though our sins have been paid for and Satan has lost his grip that sin is amazingly strong still. Well, why do we think that? Why do you think that sin is a strong enemy? Why is it that you think that Satan is almost invincible if it's not for the timely intervention of the Lord's mercies? Why do we think this? Well, I think the answer is because we are constantly battling against our enemies. And we find them very forceful. A question I'm going to ask at this point, and I want you to think about it with me. Are 
our conclusions, what we think, are they true? Or are they really the result of hearts that are so full of unbelief and self-absorption that we imagine and are convinced of what is not true? Is sin greatly strong and Satan against us now? Or is it because you and I don't believe we don't believe the word. We are saturating ourselves with the, what the Lord Jesus has done. We are not thinking about his victory. And so we convince ourselves that these things are true because we are absorbed with ourselves and our self-life. My proposition that I'm going to ask you to think with me about is simply this. I believe this is what this scripture teaches. The Lord Jesus breaks the power of our enemies so that they falter and fall, leaving us completely delivered from their condemnation. Do you understand the context? The Lord Jesus says, now let's bring. I almost see a David and Goliath type of confrontation here. Let's bring the enemies out. Goliath says, let's meet face to face. You bring your man, I'll bring my man. And David says, okay, I come to you in the name of the living God. Of course, the Lord anoints He goes forth and he finds himself over the giant. Lord Jesus, likewise, is saying, bring out those enemies against my people and against myself. Let us face them face to face. And then he says, these enemies now before me are like an old moth-eaten garment. They have lost their power. Now before I suggest any points, I want to support that establish the truth that the Lord Jesus, by his atonement, puts down our enemies to the point that Isaiah's description is utterly appropriate. Remind yourself of these verses. Romans 5, verses 20 and 21. See if they don't sound exactly like what we're reading here. Moreover, the law entered, that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What does Romans 8 and 1 say? Therefore there is no, now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit do you see how that is saying the condemnation of the enemy the Lord Jesus not only turns aside but now he condemns the enemy what a reversal there is there 
And I say here is a great Bible truth that needs to be well understood. We must know and understand that the enemies of our soul have been broken. This truth is the foundation on which the doctrine of sanctification is established. Now think with me for just a moment on the Westminster Confession Shorter Catechism's definition of the term sanctification. What does it say? Sanctification is the work now here's the important words of God's free grace. The work of grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin live unto righteousness our victory over the enemies of our soul is sure because those same enemies were utterly defeated by the Lord Jesus at Calvary and now the scripture says the power if you will the dominion of our sin and our and Satan and all the things that are against us waxes old like a garment it's now moth eaten I've got four things I'm going to present to you here and I'll be done very quickly today. I want you to see then first that this suggests to us that the power of the condemner is broken. The power of the condemner now who's the condemner? Our enemies sin, Satan the old heart that's within us. If our heart condemns us scripture says yes our own heart condemns us the power of those in one of his hymns says he breaks the power of cancelled sin he sets the prisoner free this is exactly the idea that's being spoken of sin, Satan and self have no dominion over us anymore they are moth eaten threads of a former garment of which I have now been ridden I like to dwell in my mind on certain instances that occur in Scripture. Some of them bring a real smile uh, to me as I think about them. One of which is that day when the Lord Jesus was walking on the Jericho Road. And he hears from off to the side one crying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And then you hear the gasps and the whispers of many people saying be quiet be quiet just don't don't create a scene and all the more you hear this one from the side crying Jesus thou son of David have mercy on me is calling for you. Come up here. And then it says something about Barnabas, and this is a picture I love. It says that he casts aside his garment. Here's a picture of conversion, if you will, where the old garment, the moth-eaten accusations that a man wears. Here you have the picture of 
Christian in Pilgrim's Progress before he kneels at the cross wearing his rags. And the, call, the effectual call of Christ is, Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, that are wearing the rags of unrighteousness. And Bartimaeus throws them off. I, I'm, I don't want these clothes. To the Lord Jesus, and of course, the Lord Jesus healed him. But it's not just a healing of his eyes that happened that day. It was a healing of his heart. He was made a new creature, and he followed in the way with the Lord, rejoicing. He had new garments that day. He received, in place of his old worn-out cloak of unrighteousness, a new garment without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Now, I want to say this. No one this morning is arguing for the Charles Finney-like doctrine of sinless perfection. The absurdity of that thought is profound. Even the Apostle Paul himself laments in his last words to Timothy at the point where he says, my departure is at hand, I have fought the good fight, and so forth. He laments the fact that sin has been with him, the chiefest of sinners, all through his days. But then he also says that, he be- I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. When Jesus saves, his blood changes the garment for the leper who would be made clean. And the Satan-controlled man there in Gadara now sits clothed and in his right mind. Why is this doctrine so vital? Why is it necessary for me to understand that the power of sin is broken. That when I come to the Lord Jesus and His Spirit dwells within me, that now the power that seems to be so strong and that growls so hard, why is it that that needs to be understood? Well, the answer is simply this, that the very peace of heart that the Lord Jesus means for us to have and the life more abundant is founded on realizing this truth. Our enemies are not so strong anymore. What once gripped us is old and worn out. We are free, for the Son has made us free indeed. As we sang this morning, again, supporting the very thought. That last verse of the hymn we sang this morning, No condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Well, we might ask ourselves very simply, very practically, why do I feel guilty then? Why is it as a believer, why is it as a Christian, one who believes in the Lord Jesus and has asked for the saving of my soul from the hand of Christ, why is it that I still feel so guilty so often? Well, again, the answer is not that your enemy has any real condemnation of you. For those whom God has declared just are just. Well, I think sometimes you and I feel the pangs and the sting of sin. We feel that our sins are so 
heavy against us because not the accuser is showing these things to us, but it's actually the Holy Spirit that shows these things to us as a faithful comforter. It's a comforter that I'm made to feel guilty for my sin. Yes, absolutely. The Spirit of God lets you know that you do not stand in the place of comfort where he would meet with you. And he is speaking to your heart. Get right with God. The, the pig pen is not the place for you. The world is not the place for one who owns Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God will come to you and say, you can't be happy here. Well, you know, it's amazing to me that there are so many people who say that they believe in the Lord Jesus who are absolutely miserable. Well, why is this? Because you want to go roll around in the pig pen and you wonder why you're not happy. Because the Spirit of God won't let you be happy there. You are made for something entirely different. You've been bought with a price. You are not your own. That place, the things that you find that are the can't be happy in those places. The Lord has broken the power of those things and he now is the power over your heart and your life. And he will let you know though uh, what your sin will do to you for the purpose of bringing you back to himself. There's a statement in the Psalms, in fact I read it just a day or two ago where the Uh, what they wanted. They were they were moaning and groaning that they didn't have any meat to eat. And of course the Lord blows in the huge I don't, I don't know what to call it, a block of coal. Existing flocks. And they're not like geese or ducks or something like that. And Israel says, boy, this is great. And they go out and they start eating. And then the statement is, before they even swallowed the meat that was in their mouths, a plague came upon them for their unbelief and disobedience. And the statement is that the Lord gave them what they want but sent leanness to their souls. You know, there's sometimes the Lord will let you get exactly what you're asking for only because he means to make your soul so lean that you feel like this is not only not good for me. This is wrong. This is foolish. Or in the words that everybody says today, this is stupid. Yeah. The power of the king is broken. That is suggested in our text. But also I want you to think with me about this. of the condemner is broken. Now, I have to confess to you so I have an illustration that fits more for them at this point 
But I ask you to consider yourself childish now. See, no, wait a minute, I don't like that. Okay. Um, consider yourself not to appreciate the I want you to imagine that you're in the army. Not today's army. Let's let's practice. Let's say this is back in the day of of David. Okay. So you're in the army. No, you can't be in the days of David. My illustration won't work then. Anyway, you're in this army, and there you are on the side of the hill, you and all of your fellow soldiers, and you see a massive invading army just just within eyesight, within just yards, maybe away. Huge army! Much bigger than you. And they are invading. And you look at their faces and you tell these people mean absolutely no good. They are vicious. But then you realize that the only weapons they possess are squirt guns. Are you with me? Now, I mean to tell you, these guys are advanced in how they present themselves and how they present their squirt guns. Now, again, I'm going to be a little facetious to remember I was doing this perhaps for kids, but I want you to think about this army that's invading with these squirt guns. I mean, they don't just have... They don't have squirt guns. I mean, they have... I mean, they have automatic Actually, not only beyond that, they have squirt guns with what I am calling hyper-hydraulics for instant refill. They have squirt guns that are equipped with resonating that makes them growl as they spray. There they are. That vicious, vicious group. Are you afraid of them? I mean, really. Would you be afraid of those guys? What can they do? I'm trying to present to you that in many ways, your enemies that have been defeated by Jesus Christ are no different. And though they may say, we have got what it takes to bring you down. We've got what it takes to do you We've got everything that it takes. I mean, we are so advanced in the way that we can attack you and bring you down that there's nobody that's going to stand in what we bring. Well, you think about this. I'm going to persist in my ridiculous illustration. You think about it. What can they really do to you? Well, number one, they can make you feel wet. And if the wind is blowing and the temperature is low, they can make you feel cold. I'm so uncomfortable. Doesn't that, you know, doesn't your sin? Uh, yeah, I am so uncomfortable. 
Let me tell you a, 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 a Well, if you're like me, this happens to me. Not because I face the squirt gun army, but you have ever been out in the backyard watering your plants and the wind whips up. If you're like me and you have glasses and the sprays, nothing else in the wind takes it. Water gets all over your glasses so you can't see a thing. You ever had that happen? Yeah, Stan's sort of smiling. He says, yeah, it was just yesterday, actually. doesn't sin sometimes do that it covers your eyes as it were so you can't see where you're going what you should be doing how you should be conducting yourself I don't know the next step I can't see anything why because my glasses are all to the devil, the only take that that you've ever been able to push forward that was even remotely powerful has already been leveled against the Lord Jesus. Well, again, would you be afraid to go to battle against an army like I just described? Well, I'm not saying that our sins and the devil and the old heart don't have their effect. not lead me to hell. The Lord makes a comment to Israel who was about to face some large armies. In Numbers chapter 14 verse 9 it says, Only rebel ye not against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land. They are for us. Their defense is departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Your enemy, your sins, Satan, the old dragon, and your old man, your old corrupt heart that's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, all of them are characterized as they stand before the Lord Jesus as an old, worn-out, moth-eaten garment. There's no strength in them. There is no condemnation in them. They stood against the Lord Jesus. And just look at the result. The point is, as I said when we began, that all of the promises of God are in him, yea, and in him, amen. It will prove that the result that has been now seen as these attacked the Son of God, the same result will be my portion, for I am in union with him by faith. Well, my third point, the penalty of the condemnation is broken. The penalty of the condemnation is broken. I think, you know, in some, in some ways, the worst part of coming to realize that we are in line for the penalty, we are condemned, if you will, is the coming application 
of the penalty. Now, I think all of us associate with this to a certain degree. We have known this in the past. Um, you know the words uh, that have maybe been spoken to you more than once. Um, well, not so much in my home because usually if I did something wrong, I got it. But those words, just wait till your father gets home. Now, you think about it. Do you remember anything like that? Wasn't the agony of waiting till dad gets home actually worse than the application of the sentence being executed? You know, that the execution lasted maybe, what, 10, 15, 20 seconds, something like that? The agony of having to wait not far well. Our enemies say, just wait. You just wait. You're going to see what you're going to get. You're going to see how all this sin is going to come up. Just, just you wait. But the Lord Jesus, the scriptures tell us, already has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. All our transgressions were laid on him, and with his stripes we are healed. The enemy now, because they have already done the worst that they can possibly do is left as an old worn out toothless foe. Again the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. All things have already been put right. How will they be made otherwise? I want you to think with me just for a second. The enormous thought is that for the enemy to truly do us harm for your, the things that you would worry about to condemn you, if they were to do you harm, two things must happen. First, the enemy would have to regain strength. In fact, regain strength greater than Christ's. And be no more worn out. The enemy would have to become what it cannot become. It would have to be greater than Christ. Sin would have to be greater than grace. That would have to happen if you are going to be beset by the penalties of your sins once Jesus has borne them. But second, more astoundingly impossible. The work that the Lord Jesus has done would have to be completely undone, renounced of heaven, and set aside. Do you understand that? For those penalties, the remnant of sin, beyond that, And it's not just the working Because he would have failed. Peter says, First Peter 3 and 18, For Christ also suffered for us, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. There is just the opposite of what I just said. Here you have the Lord Jesus successfully doing the work. It has been approved. And now the 
Well, my last thought is this. The reason for the dimmer being broken. What's the reason? Why do we know that our enemies are, and forever will be, an old garment eaten by moths? Well, it's at the beginning of our text, verse 9. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. The reason that the grace of God given to me will prove what I need as I face my enemy is that grace is greater than all my sin. Where sin did abound, grace doth much more abound. And his grace is efficacious. Okay, what does efficacious mean? Well, we've gone over this a number of times, but what does that mean? Efficacious simply means that this grace always does what it's intended to do. It works. It is successful. The grace of God is always successful. Why? Well, simply put, God is sovereign. What he wills is seen. Everything that God wills is seen. That doesn't mean that everything that is seen reflects the will of God for man is corrupt and there are things that are seen that are evil that must be judged but what is seen by grace and goodness it always does what God that are against my soul, but some of them are left standing. Well, again, I want you to see what the scripture says. Look back again at verse 9. Behold, the Lord God will help me. They all. Now, um, J.A. Alexander, a well-known commentator from a century or more ago, makes a big point out of they all needs to be understood all of them. There's not just some that are dealt with, but all of them are included in this description. Not one is excluded. All of our sins. Therefore, all of our enemies have lost their power. 
point, I believe, that the Lord is making as he offers this wonderful prophetic statement about the work of Jesus Christ is for you and I to remember. Again, I come back to my theology book. I read it again just last night. Um,